Yo, yo, welcome back to Lost in Transition. My name is Riyadh. My name is Kevin. This is our new NBA podcast where we discuss and debate NBA topics. Today is Monday, February 15th. Songo is out today, so Gladdy and I will cover the Bucks Jazz game this past Friday and discuss both teams in more depth. We will also discuss some of the biggest surprises so far this season. Stand by. in the intro songo did not introduce himself uh he is out today um as we gear up to discuss the bucks and jazz game my theory is that he is boycotting the discussion of the jazz and the bucks since he despises both of them <laughs> it might that's definitely an option uh it's, it's either one of three things that uh he's still nursing a nice two-day hangover too much liquor in his system over the weekend or he's sitting watching the Wizards Rockets game, crying that the Wizards traded for Russell Westbrook. So yeah, I think it's def- definitely one of those three. Uh, we'll have to do some investigation. It could it could be all three, honestly. Yeah, a little bit of both. All right. So this past Friday, the Jazz and the Bucks played in Utah. Two key uh, injuries to that game were Drew Holiday, Mike Conley. They did not play. The game overall was pretty boring. Uh, Jazz led pretty much the whole game. I think their biggest lead was 21 points. And it never seemed like the Bucks were ever going to overcome it or, or take the lead. Um, they, they did fight back a little bit, got, I think, within um, single digits, but never got close enough to really threaten the Jazz. Giannis at halftime only had two points, uh, but he ended up with 29, 15, and 6, some of that in garbage time. Uh, Lopez had 23, Middleton had 18. Uh, there was a little bit of scoring from Portis on the bench. Uh, Mitchell for the Jazz had 26, 6, and 8. He seemed to play more of a playmaker role in the game uh, versus just a scorer. Um, Gobert had 27, he played well. Ingles had 27, I think he was 7 for 9 from the 3. And Clarkson had 25, which was huge off the bench. Yeah, like I said, pretty much uneventful game. Um, I thought we learned a few things about each team, um, but what what did you think, Laddie? Yeah, this was uh, one of the first few times I've seen the Jazz play uh, this year. Definitely isn't Sango's style of basketball, so I get why he's not here. Uh, but they no, they do uh, they play really well together. Uh, they seem like they're they're real happy. Their bench is going crazy, no matter who's scoring. You know, I think they got a solid. Uh, solid six guys that could give you six or seven guys who give you uh, 15 to 15 to 25 every single night so I mean it's definitely tough to defend now I thought that the Bucks watching them play again uh, I guess you got to take it with a caveat because Drew Holiday is such a big part of their team this year Uh, but they continue to disappoint me a little bit especially on the defensive end of the ball Uh, so obviously it's still early but uh, I think these two teams, obviously, as we'll get into, kind of it, it's, it's a little bit of a question, you know, in the regular season, like they've had success in the past the last couple of years. They haven't had too much rost- roster turnover, 
So it'll be interesting to see, you know, where they go when it matters in the playoffs. Looking at the box score and the team stats for the, for the game, is there anything that sticks out to you? Um, because like I said, um, watching the game, it really seemed like the Jazz had control of the whole game and never really seemed like the Bucks had a shot to win it. But to me, there's nothing really that sticks out in the box score for the team stats. I mean, they, they shot both around 36% from the three. Jazz had a little bit higher field goal percentage, 52 versus 45 but other than that, I mean, they they did out-rebound the Bucks. But in terms of, like, assists, shots, shot uh, possessions, um, there wasn't a big... The only thing that stuck out to me, which is kind of just further evidence of what I've been skeptical on the Bucks all year, is the fact that the Jazz scored 130 points and had 17 turnovers. The fact that you can turn the ball over 17 times and still yeah. put up 130 just kind of provides further evidence that I'm very skeptical on the Bucks defense this year. Going back to kind of what you mentioned earlier, um, I think both teams kind of have the same questions uh, surrounding them this year, um, which is can they turn their regular season success into postseason success? Um, the Bucks, I think, have had the number one seed over the last two years, maybe three, and the Jazz have been a, a, top, a top four seed, I think, in the last few years. So they both had regular season success, but they don't seem to translate that to the postseason. I think uh, some of the similarities are they're very team oriented in terms of like a balance. They both have very good coaches. I think the biggest difference they have is the Bucks have a superstar and the Jazz have a star in Donovan Mitchell. The Jazz do play in the West while the Bucks do play in the East. So I do think the Jazz have bigger competition. I would, I would only say the Bucks really have the Sixers and the Nets maybe to compete for, to make the finals in the West. The Jazz have maybe four or five teams to compete with. I think another big difference going back to uh, Giannis versus Mitchell is that Giannis, if you look at the statistics for each team, Giannis really has to do everything for the Bucks. He leads them in points, rebounds, assists. He's their best defensive player. Um, they even, you know, ask him to shoot threes and, and, and run the floor. While the Jazz seem like they have more defined roles, even though Mitchell is their best player, he's kind of their uh, scorer slash playmaker while they have other, other players that kind of take on, whether it's Gobert and on the defensive side and rebounding. Um, but it seems like Giannis has much more on his shoulders and makes it much tougher if he's having a bad game for the Bucks to succeed. It seems like also the Jazz get a lot more open shots through the offense while the Bucks need someone to be a playmaker. And it's usually like at the end of the clock. So they'll throw it to Middleton or Giannis and ask them to just make a play, score the ball. While the Jazz, everything seems to come through the offense, even though you know, Mitchell will run, will run the pick and roll and they'll have some action off that. Um, but it, it seems like they just get more shots into the, in the offense versus the Bucks kind of having to have that one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that even if the Jazz, like, primary uh, playmaker is Donovan Mitchell, they still have so many guys that will be able to create some space so like off the dribble, obviously you see like Clarkson creates a ton of space. You see Mitchell can, 
Uh, Ingles is, you know, deceptively uh, a playmaker where even if they're not getting, you know, maybe a Giannis type separation or creating that wide open of shots, their ball movement really allows them that even if let's say someone like Ingles gets a couple of steps or gets a step or two on his defender, you know, drawing some help, kicking out to someone else who can make a, you know, relatively decent playmaking play as well. And it just seems like their ball movement, they're making the extra pass just gets them a ridiculous amount of wide open threes. And that's why you kind of saw them get out to that hot start. Uh, you, like you said, the, the three-point percentage kind of did come back down to earth and they finished relatively similar down the stretch. But that's why they got out to that huge start in the first quarter and kind of ran away with it and didn't look back uh, was because of all that you know, playmaking, creating separation, making the extra pass. And it was Ingles early who could not miss from three. Yeah, and just comparing Mitchell and Giannis – a little bit further I think also with Mitchell um, kind of like how I mentioned earlier he was more of like a playmaker versus just a, a scorer in this game and it seems like depending on how the defense plays them that Mitchell has a lot more freedom in the offense to become that playmaker versus just a scorer. like he can kind of adjust within the offense but it seems like with Giannis and the Bucks, he is their best player and their scorer but once the defense kind of takes away his like transition and the the space he has in the, in the half court, he really looks for his teammates to really open up the offense versus looking to him to make plays. Yeah, and I think it's like it kind of goes. I forget who was saying this, but I really agree with the point they made. Like everyone wants to make this out like he's a freak athlete, like what LeBron was growing up, you know, early years in the league and everything. But I still kind of don't really see him. He's not that same type of pl- like player at the highest level uh, and in the postseason that LeBron is, where like I still think he's more effective in like a Anthony Davis type role where he's more of like a screener and like, you know, pick and pop, pick and roll. Because, I mean, it just seems like at the highest levels when, you know, obviously the Bucks are huge, huge in transition. I think they're once again, you know, top five in pace in the NBA and they just, when it gets to the playoffs, obviously the game slows down. It's a lot more in the half court. So that's why I didn't want to take too much offensively from the Bucks and Giannis like kind of struggling in that first half because for Giannis to be able to be that screener and kind of used as in that role, as opposed to just like always having the ball in his hands, uh, they need to have Drew Holiday, and they didn't have him this game. So I'm definitely going to try to monitor that more moving forward because uh, I know that when they did play the Nets earlier this year, and uh, I think the Nets end up squeezing it out down the stretch. Um, but Giannis in the second half, he was in a ton of pick and rolls as a screener, and it was super effective. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, that they definitely are going to have to go to that a lot more in the playoffs. Uh, when the game does slow down uh, in the half court. Yeah, I think I think Giannis is a little bit unusual, and I, I think AD is a good comparison. I like to use, from a historical standpoint, I like to use Shaq as a, as a good comparison because Shaq was so dominant, but he always needed a perimeter player around him. Like, he needed Kobe, he needed Hardaway, he needed Wade around him whenever he won. And I don't think that necessarily takes away the caliber of player he was or that Giannis is because Giannis is dominant, especially if you look at the numbers as Shaq was. 
I just think it's just a fact of, of maybe how the NBA works that you need that you need a perimeter player to, to set up an offense, to, to get a, a good offensive shot. Um, I mean, even if we look at even Embiid, that was if you look at Embiid, like uh, I think we talked about this, I forget which game it was, but it was at the end of the game and they were trying to get him the ball and they couldn't. So they basically had him like take up the ball basically that's just the fact of like when it gets tighter at the end of games and teams are much more keyed in on what you're trying to do, it's harder to get the ball to someone that can't get the ball th- themselves in, in the offense. Right. And that's I, very good yeah. And I, I don't think, I don't think that's a, a necessarily a, a knock on Giannis. I just think it's something that we should keep an eye on, you know, especially with Drew Holiday and Middleton now, whether they're those types of players that could help them out. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's why they're going to need, I guess, I mean, we always talk about, like you just said with Shaq, having Wade, having Kobe, having Penny. It's just is because obviously Giannis doesn't have that type of player to that level on his team. Yeah. It's just a question of like, is Drew Hall a combination of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton enough to kind of substitute that type of duo? I mean, Middleton's, I mean, no doubt an all-star this year. Uh, I feel like people really do underrate him. I mean, we'll see what it gets like down the stretch of a second, third round playoff series. But I mean, the thing about Middleton sometimes though, you forget he's out there. Like you, he like disappears for sections of games. And then yeah, to me as a player, it would be hard to like pick up at the end when they're trying, when yeah. you really need a bucket. Definitely. But I, I think that kind of, I mean, that's got to fall. That's not going to fall just on Middleton, right? That's got to fall on Giannis. That's got to fall on Budenholzer like to yeah. not allow that happen because of the fact of how effective he is. I mean, he's shooting like 52% from the floor this year, over 40. I think he's like 45 from three, over 90 from the foul line, like an easy 50, 40, 90 guy. Like that's, that's got to not just fall on him. I mean, like I said, Giannis is going to have the ball in his hands to create playmaking a lot, and you'll see that in transition. But I think that they're going to have to find a way to incorporate him and Drew as, you know, ball ball handlers, playmakers in the half court to be get ready for the postseason when they've had so many issues. Yeah, and I think you saw it also in this game where it was around that, like, 12 to 15 range with, like, five, six minutes left. And, you know, Giannis wasn't really dominating the game. So they were trying to get other players, you know, in good positions like Middleton and DiVincenzo in spots on the floor where they can, you know, get an easy bucket or, you know, on the in the uh, like the free throw line area to even get like a, a, a mid range bucket. But nothing is like nothing is good enough to win those playoffs games when it when it really counts. And you can really see it how their offense kind of breaks down at the end of those games. Okay. Just, uh, we, we kind of talked a lot about the bucks, um, just quickly jet for the jazz. How, how big a, of a piece do you think Clarkson is for them? I think he's huge. I think, I mean, in my opinion, he's the sixth man of the year right now. Uh, I would definitely have him in the top spot there. He really just, he's like a bigger version and like in comparison to his team of Lou Williams. But like I said, he's a little bit better of a defender just because of his size and length. I think just the way he controls his body, you just see like the way he shields off his defenders, even as uh, we know, he's a high volume three point shooter shoots at a pretty good uh, rate. 
And the way that he uses his body to kind of shield defenders and still be able to finish just was super impressive in that game. I think he's definitely going to be essential for them. Uh, I think the consistency of Bogdanovich is big too. Uh, he had a little bit of a slow start, but he's been climbing back uh, in terms of his three-point numbers recently. He didn't play great this game. Uh, however, I think he's going to be a key part to their success. Uh, we forget that he actually wasn't in that playoff series uh, against the Nuggets last year. So, I mean, that, that's a big loss. My biggest thing with the Jazz, I think that you talked about, like, it's obviously these these teams, they're going to have to prove it in the postseason. But with the Jazz in comparison to the Bucks, I think the biggest thing with them and making a deep postseason run, I think this one seed means so much more to them than it would to the Bucks. Yeah. If you can avoid the Lakers and Clippers in the first two until you were to, if you were to get to the conference finals, that's huge for them. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully by the time the playoffs roll around, I mean, they already have a good home court. But, you know, with fans in there, that definitely just goes to another level. So I think essentially that is a must get uh, in if they have any aspirations of getting to the conference finals. Yeah. Um, just quickly, I think if you look at all their statistics, they're all very impressive. I think they're the only team in the top 10. By both. Yeah, right? they're fourth in offense, second in defense. That's crazy. They're fourth in th- three-point percentage, first in rebounding. They've won seven in a row, last, last 10, nine, and one. So all their numbers look good. For their closing lineup, who do you think they're going to close with? Because obviously they were missing Conley. And within this game, the Bucks jazz game, they closed with Rudy, Mitchell, O'Neal, Bojan, and Ingles. What, they'll probably, Ingles will probably be out. Conley will be in, I guess. Yeah, I just feel like you can't – I don't think you can have Ingles and – Bojan on at the same time they're going to need O'Neal's defense on a wing um so you have Connolly Mitchell Gobert O'Neal and then honestly I wouldn't be shocked if it's just kind of like whoever has the hot hand out of those two that could rotate it might not be I mean Clarkson could be in some yeah lineups yeah he could be at times it kind of probably depends on the matchup too I mean if you're playing like the Clippers or something like that, you kind of, you're not going to be able to afford to have Clarkson um, as like, you know, covering PG or Kawhi. You'd probably need a, you know, Bojan and uh, Royce O'Neal on those two. So I think it's going to depend on the matchup when it comes to the postseason. Got it. I just, uh, I know we've plugged uh, JJ's podcast a few times, but uh, uh, I was listening to Conley's interview on there and he was saying how, um, how there were a lot of growing pains last year in terms of like finding everybody knowing their role on the team and the chemistry and how he, he feels like this year definitely clicked with the chemistry and everybody knowing their roles. And like you mentioned, if this, if they had this chemistry in the, in the series against the nuggets, how that could have been different and you know what happened with that, but you could, who knows with how everything's going now, you can see them in the second round of the playoffs and that, you know, Nuggets in the four or five matchup. Now, very important question. Do you think that how the Jazz are constituted where they have one star and a collection of solid role players, do you think they could beat a team like the Lakers with two superstars? As long as injuries don't play a factor and everyone's healthy, I would say no. What about you? I'd say no. I'm not that... 
just like how the NBA is nowadays, man. It's just so tough to win. Yeah, I'm not much of a historian, but I'm sure there's not there's haven't been a lot of teams. Um, I can think of like the Pistons maybe, and that's it in terms of like teams that didn't really have a superstar. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that, and, and you never know, but. I mean, I think we both would agree that Mitchell's the only one that has the potential to be there, but he's definitely not there yet. Uh, yeah, I think I think he's been playing better this year than he has in previous years. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I think most people predicted that the Jazz and Bucks would be good in the um, regular season. However, um, I do think it is a little bit surprising that the Jazz have a twenty-two and five record, the best record in the NBA. Um, I think it's pretty surprising that, I mean, I've liked the way Gobert's played this year. I don't think it's been anything crazy, but I think he's been solid. I think the way their chemistry's come together, and maybe it shouldn't have been surprising because they had a lot of injuries last year and, and a lot of people out. Um, but I think I think it's been pleasantly surprising that they've been good. It's just every year out, out West, like there's going to be someone that you're predicting to be top three or four seed is going to fall a little bit and then someone's going to jump up just because there's so much depth out there. Yeah, I agree. Now going, going to the East, there have been a few surprises in the East, been some fun teams. I know LaMelo boss, especially has been fun to watch. Gladdy, who, who are some of the teams that are, have been the big, biggest surprises in the East? Yeah. I think you mentioned the Hornets, obviously um, they've been a lot of fun to watch this year. Uh, Lamelo is probably the the, fa- the favorite right now in terms of rookie of the year. Uh, but my biggest surprise in the East is the New York Knicks. So I was actually talking to, uh, I would say like half half New York Knicks fan, Joe Kaz, earlier today. Um, so he seems like he's watched like three or four games this year. So trending uh, at a normal at a at a normal pace for him but yeah the Knicks have been my biggest surprise uh 13 and 15 right now 24th in offense and third in defense it's a crazy discrepancy uh, I guess that's why they're floating around um you know five that 500 mark uh in my opinion they've been the biggest surprise of the east right now I think they're the six or seven seed uh they just re- re- acquired uh Derek Rose from the Detroit Pistons. Uh, so obviously that was in hopes to improve that offense. Uh, and honestly, he's played like three games so far and they've already jumped from, I think they were 27th or 28th in offense up to 24th. Um, so it's a, a step in the right direction. I think they have a lot of exciting uh, young talent. I saw Mitchell Robinson uh, just broke his hand. I believe he's out four to six weeks. I don't think that's that big of a deal for them. Nerlens and Wells is a pretty good rim protector. Uh, and then I don't know how this dude's still in the league because he's old as shit, but uh, Taj Gibson is their backup center now. Uh, he's a big Tibbs fan favorite. So, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, quickly it's probably, he's probably, I mentioned him in a previous pod about one of my sleepers in the rookie of the year. Uh, he continues to play well. Uh, one thing I would like to see, uh, I think could improve their offense as well. I think they should start Derrick Rose at the point guard and then just have quickly as the backup. Uh, they've been, Tibbs has this session with Alfred Payton and he's been starting all year. I don't really think that's necessary. I think quickly averages like 10, mes- 10 less minutes a game, essentially averages like one, one less point, one less assist a game. So I think it kind of, 
to gear them towards the future as well. I think it would just be beneficial to have him as a backup to a veteran like Rose. They really, I mean, Julius Randle's borderline all-star. I'm not going to have him in there, but he's averaging 22, 5, and 11. That man is such a spaz on the court. Like I saw him play the other night against the Heat, and I think he like knocked like three people down or maybe two and a half because Jimmy was uh, kind of faking an injury to try to get the flagrant there. But, you know, they've been, uh, you know, he's been very good for them this year, uh, shooting like 39% uh, from three, which is super, super, super surprising. But, you know, they just get Nobi topping back from injury. So I think they're, they're, I think when I say legit, I say legit as in they will be a legit possibility for the play in tournament. But, you know, they've been super fun to watch. Um, So I would say, you know, they've been my biggest surprise in the Eastern Conference so far. They uh, seem to have a lot of um, discarded players from the past. It seems like Thibodeau is able to to get them all play hard and with a chip on their shoulder, I guess. What do you see the biggest difference with uh, Julius Randle this year? I think the biggest thing with him under Tibbs, I mean, like I said, I think he kind of embodies Tibbs' mentality where it's just like relentless energy. Uh, and I think that works out well for him uh, because – I mean, he's kind of like a little bit of like a tweener in terms of like what position he plays and everything. Uh, but they're also giving him, and this also could be a reason why they're starting Peyton because he's not like a ball dominant, huge usage rate guy is the fact that they're giving him like, he's their primary ball handler and playmaker, I should say. Um, so I think, you know, his ability to do that is, you know, causing him to uh, have his career high in assists. And I'm pretty sure it's his highest point per game as well. Uh, so I would say that's the biggest difference uh, in terms of his play this year as opposed to the past. I think Tibbs is doing a good job so far, but it's such a tough job for him to balance. He kind of has to see like, all right, like Austin Rivers is giving us crazy good productivity, but he's a veteran on a one-year deal. Like he's probably not in our plans for like our future when we want to be like contending. Uh, so he really has a tough job of kind of like trying to balance like probably pressure from Leon Rose to like win now and also develop the young talent. Uh, but I think he's done a pretty good job of it so far. Yeah. What do you think about um, RJ Barrett? Has he, do you see him as the future of this team? I mean, I don't see him being like a one, like a top player on a championship. He's not a superstar. Yeah. He's not a, he's not a top player on a championship team there. He's improved. Uh, he hasn't improved much from the three-point line. That's still definitely a weakness of his, and I'm not really sure, you know, how good he can get there. Uh, he's been getting to the free throw line more this year, which is encouraging, shooting a decent percentage. But I, I still just – this team's still just a little bit in limbo. Uh, like I said, I like the progress that Leon Rose and the Tibbs era has shown so far. Uh, that being said, I think they've just dug themselves in such a deep hole and have been so irrelevant for so long. Uh, I'm not sure there's that quick of a fix. I guess their hope and their thing is still going to be, hey, we're the New York Knicks. We have a, we're in Madison Square Garden. We can attract free agents. Um, it hasn't been the case since, what, Amari Stoudemire. But... So I think they're in a little bit of limbo. 
I'm not sure like where exactly they go in terms of making that next step to being like even like a top four or five playoff team in the East. But I can't say I hate it. Like it's the Knicks. Like I don't I don't really give a shit about the Knicks. Like kind of like them just uh, just because we have so many like New York friends. I don't I don't mind them being trash. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely just you just want to see some progress or some kind of hope for the future. And I think I think that's definitely what you're seeing for the Knicks. If you're a Knicks fan, I mean, you're not ecstatic that that your team is is average, but I think you're surprised that they are. Yeah, definitely. Any other teams that really stuck out to you? I mean, I guess you pretty much had your biggest one as the Jazz. Um, and then obviously we mentioned the the Hornets a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, I think they've there have been other teams that have been surprising at moments, right? Where you think they've maybe turned a, turned a corner, or maybe they they've figured something out, but then you know they'll have they'll step back and and lose two in a row or three in a row, or someone will get injured or COVID or whatever it is. So yeah, um, I think I think you know the Kings. I think we were talking about the like we had talked about the biggest disappointments and we talked about the Pelicans and then they went on like a four game win streak. I was like, Oh oh God, this is going to come back and bite us in the ass. And then they lost three straight. So like, it's just exactly. Yeah. It's it's definitely going to be a different season to monitor that type of thing. Yeah. I think, I think we're still at the point of the season where um, we don't fully know what each team is um, just because there hasn't been enough games. Like it's hard to believe that there hasn't been enough games, but just just with the unique circumstances surrounding this year and yeah and another thing is it'll kind of be a good transition into obviously what we're going to get into next week will be our all-star selections for the east and the west uh even with that like normally i think they're like the i think it's around like 60 percent way through the season is normally when they vote and decide on all-stars this year i think it's like around like 30 to 35 yeah um, yeah when they when they started the voting a few weeks ago i was like what like some like jimmy butler has played like five games (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and obviously we'll get into that next week when we talk about it but because i mean if someone misses like two weeks so far like you're not even going to be be able to be like strongly considered for an all-star yeah because we're they're voting like i said like 35 percent way into the season it's going to be tough there yeah definitely all right so that wraps up this episode we will continue to cover the most interesting topics throughout the season and we expect this season to be a fun one so we hope you can join us please rate and subscribe and we will see you next time peace later